and welcome to Let's Talk Period, the podcast for people who want all things real, raw and reputable. I'm your host, Isabella Gosling, and today's episode is part two of Let's Talk Endometriosis. So I'm going to be chatting all about the other questions that came through to do with endo for Endo Awareness Month. But first, before we get into it, I just want to quickly mention about the one-on-one mentoring that I'm currently offering. So this is for my people with a chronic illness who are feeling a bit lost, they're feeling overwhelmed, you're not really sure where to go to for support or how to manage your chronic illness and you're not really sure what what you want to see change, what you want to fix, how to go about it and you're just feeling really confused and lost and I'm just here to be your chronic illness BFF. So this is six weeks of one-on-one mentoring where we catch up weekly and we chat, we vent, we go through goals and we make a plan to focus on what you're wanting to sort of prioritize in your life and how to actually begin to do that, what you want to focus on and things like that. So you get unlimited messaging and voice notes with me. You get the six weekly Zoom calls where we chat. There's resources, PDFs, and then you also get access to the Let's Talk Period Practitioner Directory, which is full of amazing practitioners across Australia and via telehealth who work with people who are living with endo, adeno or PCOS and are experts in their field. So if you are interested in mentoring, all of the details are in the show notes or send me a DM because spots are super limited. There is only a couple of places left and I would love to be able to help and support you through your journey, whether you're newly diagnosed or you're just up to the latest phase and you're just not really sure where to go next, I would love to be able to help you. So send me a DM on Instagram or head to the link in show notes for all of the details. Now let's get into today's episode. Okay, so the first question or the next question since we're in part two that came through is, are fibroids and endo the same thing? So endometriosis and fibroids are not the same thing. Endometriosis is anywhere within the body it can be found. So like I said last episode, we know that it has now been found on the brain. It's been found on the lungs. It's been found on the diaphragm. It's been found on the spleen. It's been found on the outside of the uterus. It has been found on the ovaries. It has been found on the bowel. It's been found on the bladder. It is not just pertained to that pelvic cavity and it is not just within the uterus as people once thought. It's not the same tissue that lines the uterus. It is different. It is similar, but not the same. So that's just a little recap on endo. Whereas fibroids are non-cancerous cells or growths called leomas, they can be called, and they are made up of smooth muscle cells and fibrous connective tissue. And They can develop in the uterus, in that muscle wall, or they can also develop on top of the uterus as well. So they're like a connective tissue with the muscle muscle tissue as well. So they are very different cells to, or cell structure to endometriosis. So they're not the same that way. Um, If you do have fibroids, you do have an increased risk of developing uterine cancer. 
So fibroids can also be incredibly painful, such as endometriosis. So when you're going in for surgery, your surgeon will be able to tell the difference between what a fibroid is and what an what an endometriosis lesion is. So they look very different characteristically. Um, they endometriosis lesions can they're not as large typically unless you're dealing with endometriomas, which can be quite big, but they'll still look different because endometriosis typically has that chocolatey brown color. However, it can also be looking red. It can also have that clear bubbly look as well. And it's they aren't as large, whereas fibroids look quite like I guess the thing that might be confusing is that a lot of the symptoms of fibroids in the uterus can also overlap with the symptoms of endometriosis. So you can have heavy and painful periods or that pelvic pain and pressure. You can also have that lower back pain or pain during intercourse and you might be experiencing trouble falling pregnant and symptoms which are also very similar to endo. However, When you go for tests such as an ultrasound or an MRI, fibroids are able to be seen on both of those. So they should be able to determine that it is in fact fibroids that are causing the symptoms that you're suffering and it might not necessarily be endo. However, uh, when you go in to have surgery, your surgeon might also be looking for endometriosis because you might be experiencing both conditions. So I hope that answers your question, but it can be a bit confusing giving most pelvic conditions can have the same sort of symptoms. And that's why it is really important to get whatever you're experiencing checked out by a professional. And if you're not happy with that person's response to go and speak with someone else. Okay, the next question is, is endometriosis genetic? So they don't 100% know for sure, but the work that Grant Montgomery is doing out of the University of Queensland is indicating that there is as much of a 70% genetic link or the genome sequencing that he's studying in endometriosis. So there is definitely a huge genetic link at play, but just because someone in your family had endometriosis doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have it as well or just because someone in your family didn't have endometriosis doesn't mean that you don't have it if you're experiencing symptoms all that is known currently is that there is a genetic link however there's still so much more research that needs to be done unfortunately until we get some more clear-cut answers however I think it is important to discuss with your family about their period and I know a lot of people might feel uncomfortable about it but I think it provides really valuable insight if you can discuss with your mum about their experience because generally speaking they might have a very similar experience to what you're going through or if your grandma's around speaking with them about their experience and I know that was something that they not necessarily like to speak about back in the day but it is really important and valuable information to know Um, you can also speak with your aunties so chatting with them and their experiences on both sides of your family or speaking with your cousins because that information is so valuable and it can just sort of help to piece the puzzle together 
All right, let's move on to the next question. So how do you manage your symptoms? And I guess this is different for everybody, which can be incredibly frustrating, but not everyone has the same symptoms or severity or um, they're not going to have the same ways that manage things because not everything works for everybody. But I'll share how I manage mine and hopefully they are helpful for, for you. Um, but I was very thankful to have excision surgery the first time when I had my second laparoscopy. So first laparoscopy was inconclusive. If you've listened to my, uh, my endo story, you would hopefully have remembered that, who knows? Um, but if not, I'll link it and you can go back and listen. So I had one laparoscopy, it was inconclusive. Um, the second laparoscopy, I was thankful to have had excision surgery done. And so my endo was excised and I held, I had some relief from that. And then also my second laparoscopy was excision as well. So both laparoscopies were excision, not ablation. So that's a good step in the first place. So managing through using excision surgery, not ablation. So not burning the endo. Um, I also manage with pelvic physiotherapy. I don't currently see a pelvic physiotherapist anymore, but after I was diagnosed, I saw a pelvic physiotherapist for about a year pretty consistently. Uh, and they were so helpful because I was still experiencing pain post excision surgery. And I thought, what is going on here? So seeing a pelvic physio was really helpful with relaxing my pelvic floor because it was quite tight after years of bracing and knowing that there was pain to come. It was very hypersensitive as were all the muscles around that pelvic girdle as well. So learning to relax those, release those, and also did a lot of fascia work and internal work with a TheraWand. And I had this physio ball that I would roll along on my tummy with to try and release that fascia as well. And there was a lot of breathing exercises and focusing on really slowly relaxing and closing and opening that pelvic floor. Um, that was really helpful and I'd recommend to see a pelvic floor physio to everybody, generally speaking, because they just helped me so, so much, um, especially if you're experiencing pain with sex as well. Like I've had a few people message recently about um, vaginismus and so that was something that I was also suffering with and I was having that pain with sex and I found seeing that pelvic physio incredibly helpful. So I would definitely recommend that to manage. Um, I also use heat packs to manage my symptoms. So um, a part of my endo and adeno is I have sacroiliac pain on my right side quite severely sometimes. And so that can really flare up. So I find using heat packs really helpful for that. And I also find using a TENS machine is really helpful for managing that side of things. Um, I haven't used a hot water bottle, but I know hot water bottles are also very helpful as well. So that is one aspect of that. Another symptom that I have is fatigue and that's one that I'm learning to manage more and more. So sort of just giving yourself that grace to take things slower taking your time, not feeling rushed, trying to not get stressed out because um, 
trying to compare yourself to others isn't going to help anything. And just because someone else has a lot of energy and you don't, it doesn't mean anything. So trying to accept that you have less energy and trying to manage that the best you can through honoring your body and not forcing it through to do things. So trying to rest when you can and alter plans and that sort of thing, but also checking that it's not something else contributing to your fatigue. So trying to stay on top of your iron levels, getting your thyroid checked and just checking that there's nothing going on in the background that's contributing to your fatigue. I know fatigue is a huge symptom and it's one of the most debilitating ones, I think, because you can do not a lot yet be so exhausted. So trying to just check that there's nothing else going on is really important. But then if everything's okay and you're just managing that fatigue from your condition, I find trying to do the most important task of the day first, get that done, and then anything else I happen to get done is a bonus. That's really helpful. And then trying to write down all of the things I have to do and then crossing them off as they get done. And I don't do it as like a today list. I do it as a this is what I need to get done this week list. And then if I don't get things done in one day, I know that I've got another day to do them or things like that. And things that aren't important, they'll get put onto the list the following week. So that's sort of how I manage my fatigue. Um, And I guess mental health is another one. And I've done a whole episode on that one. But trying to remain positive all the time is really hard when you're living with a chronic illness. And um, I guess when you're in pain, it can be incredibly hard to even think positively and trying to get out of that. So when I'm having a flare up and I am feeling really down, I find having a shower really helpful. I just think it just sort of releases everything have a shower, cry, and then reset. I find washing my hair is really helpful as well. I know that takes a lot of energy. And so even going to the hairdressers just to get your hair washed, if you can afford that, or asking your sister, your mum, your friend, your partner to wash your hair for you can be really helpful as well. Because I think having fresh hair just makes everything feel better. Brushing your teeth, you always just feel a little bit more put together and you just feel a bit fresher even if you're feeling like absolute shit. So that's something that I try to do and then I try to get dressed as well, like not into, you know, uncomfortable clothes or anything, but get out of my pajamas and even if it's into loungewear that could also be passing off as pajamas, uh, I don't care. At least I'm out of my bed clothes and I'm kind of ready for the day, even if I'm feeling shit and I've accomplished two things. So that's really helpful for me. And then I also find having people who get it is really helpful. So I have my super close inner circle of people with endo or adeno who get what you're going through and you can just vent to them and they're there to support you and just be like, yeah, that really sucks. I'm really sorry you're going through that like I'm here for you and you know they're not there to make it better but they're just there to listen and so if you don't have that group of people this is my little plug to join the let's talk period community because 
um, that Facebook group is amazing and people are there to support you when you're going through a shitty time. So join the group, post in there and people will come and give you support there and you might even make a few friends as well. Um, I think that's enough about managing symptoms. Let's head on to the next question. I might do like a more full episode around managing symptoms later or something like that because I think it could be its own episode on its own. Um, The next question is, when do you know it's time for another laparoscopy? So depending on what you had done in the first place, I knew that I would potentially need another surgery after my first one because it was inconclusive and I was told that I had pelvic inflammatory disease when I didn't actually end up having that. And I was still experiencing pain and symptoms because I'd seen someone who wasn't a specialist in endo and didn't really know what they were looking for. So when I did actually go to see an endo specialist and they knew what they were looking for, I had to have another laparoscopy to have endometriosis excised and diagnosed and then also be diagnosed with adenomyosis as well. So I think if you've had a failed surgery or an inconclusive surgery and then you see somebody else, surgery might typically be on the cards that in that respect. So it would be time for another laparoscopy then. Alternatively, if you're seeing your specialist, you've had excision surgery and you're sort of in that management phase, when's it time for another laparoscopy? My own personal experience was when I started to not be able to manage my symptoms with all of my tips and tricks and things that I do regularly to keep on top of my condition and that wasn't working anymore and I started to be experiencing pain um, regularly, I started to be bleeding again and I was like, look, something's going on here. Uh, It's been about five years since I've had surgery. I think, you know, we really need to probably have a look at what's going on. And so the surgeon agreed with me and he was like, yep. So I think it's a good idea to go back in, see if there's anything that, you know, has grown back or what's going on inside. And so that's sort of how I knew. So if there's any sort of drastic changes that you notice that could be an indication that it is time for another laparoscopy so if you're having increased pelvic pain regularly when you weren't having any or it's been really under control or if you're bleeding all the time that could be another sign so chatting with your specialist to get their opinion is really important and then going from there and so I ended up having my third laparoscopy and new endo was found and they'd seen that my adenomyosis had progressed as well. So I guess going in for that second laparoscopy in 2020 was, oh my gosh, it wasn't 2020, it was 2021. There you go. In 2021 was helpful because it gave more information and more endometriosis was able to be excised. Okay. Uh, The final question for today is how do you know when to get a second opinion? So I guess that's sort of like when do you know it's time for another laparoscopy? If you've had a bad experience with a surgeon and you don't align with their values or their plan of care for you, you are so within your right to go and get a second opinion and see somebody else. Or if you don't agree with a treatment option that they're wanting you to do and they're not giving you any other options, go and see somebody else. If they're not taking your concerns seriously or they're not listening to you, 
go and get a second opinion, go and get a third opinion, go and get a fourth opinion. I had to see four people or four doctors before I got someone to listen. So getting a second opinion is not a bad thing. Even if you're necess- you couldn't be happy with your surgeon and you might just want to hear about another perspective or if somebody else has any other ideas and they might have a new perspective on how to manage something, that could be a way to... Um, they could go, look, you know, my surgeon's doing this. I'd love to get your perspective and then going from there. And then you could be like, oh no, I'm actually happy with what my current surgeon's got me doing. And then you can be reassured and feel really confident. Or maybe they suggest the same thing as what your surgeon said and you go, yes, okay, well, I'm still feeling really confident. I'm feeling really good. Or maybe they are suggesting some different treatments or strategies and things that you'd like to try. And so you could go and see them instead. It's all about finding who works for you. And if you have private health, you're paying for that person. So you are so within your right to go and see someone else. And if you are a public patient within Australia, you can also request specific public doctors as well. Uh, You do not need to just see whoever. You can ask to be seen by somebody in particular who works at that hospital. So you totally have that right. Um, Other than that, I will be back in your ears on Wednesday. I hope this episode has been helpful for you. I would love to know if you have any other endo questions. If you do, please send them in um, to hello at letstalkperiod.com.au or you can send me a DM. Um, But yeah, as I said, I'll be back in your ears on Wednesday with a brand new interview app and I cannot wait to share that one with you. If you enjoyed this episode, please send it to a friend or a family member or share that you're listening on Instagram. I would absolutely love to see it. Make sure you tag us at Let's Talk Period AU. And if you're not part of the Facebook group already, please join us. It is the place for people with endo, adeno or PCOS to get support ask questions and feel less alone so it's let's talk period community and all the details for that are in the show notes if you aren't following on spotify or apple yet please go and give us a follow you can also leave a rating on spotify and a rating and a review on apple let's talk period is produced for educational purposes and the information recommendations and topics talked about do not constitute medical advice or take into consideration your personal circumstances or medical history